everybody aloha and welcome back to the brick house for another edition of booze football final here at khon2.com and anywhere you download podcasts i'm your host rob demello joining me we got former university of hawaii player and coach rich miano we got former rainbow warrior offensive lineman rj hollis and guys i hope you enjoyed the bye week because from here on out it's all gas no breaks for the university of hawaii football team as they will trade off Road games and home games here for the rest of the season starting this Saturday against Nevada, the preseason favorite in the West Division of the Mountain West Conference. That game on Saturday, 4.30 p.m. Hawaii time on the CBS Sports Network. And then, like I said, it rides all the way out to the rest of the season playing out. So because it was a bye week this past week, there's no game to talk about, but there's some big news to talk about, and that is where we will start with the city and county of Honolulu and the state of Hawaii, the governor announcing that a limited number of fans will be allowed to attend University of Hawaii at Manoa home athletic event in the second half of October after the city and county of Honolulu and state announced a relaxation of COVID-19 restrictions. So starting October 13th, outdoor seated entertainment events including sporting arenas and concert venues will be allowed at 50% capacity or maximum of 1,000 attendees. So obviously that's where it lies for the Clarence T.C. Ching Athletics Complex where 50% capacity is 4,500, but it's capped off at 1,000. That will be for the home game against New Mexico State that Hawaii will be able to bring in family, friends, guests of the program, and then Mayor Rick Langiardi talked about, hey, if things go well, maybe for the final two home games, you can open up even more and you start selling tickets and, and, and get all the fans in there uh, at the Clarence T.C. Ching Athletics Complex. Obviously, it's not what everyone wants. What everyone wants is 9,000 strong at the Clarence T.C. Ching Athletics Complex, especially with the measures that are taken by the university and what the, the mitigation was of fully vaccinated and mass. But with that being said, it is a start and it is getting some people into that stadium for the University of Hawaii football team to experience a home crowd for the first time since 2019. So first things first, Rich, uh, your reaction to the announcement on Friday that although small, there will be a home field advantage for the University of Hawaii football team in a couple of weeks when they face New Mexico State. I think, Rob, as you watch the cases uh, come down in the seven-day count, as you watch the hospitalizations come down, you knew there was an announcement that was forthcoming. And um, again, this we are kind of behind the curveball, so to speak, but it is a positive announcement because you had the band, then you had the dancers, now you'll have family, friends, and hopefully some students and some season ticket holders, and I don't know how they're going to figure out who that first 1,000 is coming through that gate. Uh, there's some logistical concerns, I would imagine, with uh, guys and girls and fans and Kapuna and Keiki that have been trying to go to this game for the last two years, and especially this year with the stand uh, with the TC Ching Arena. So I think this will be um, it'll be exciting, it'll be fun, it'll be something that the 
the players will will get all jazzed up about just entertaining the 1,000 of their closest friends, so to speak. So uh, I'm excited about it. I just wish it happened earlier. We wish that it was at least a half attendance. Like you say, if it was 9,000, that would be incredible. But hey, you got to start somewhere. You know what? Let's entertain these 1,000 fans. Yeah, R.J. Hollis, your reaction to the news on Friday. Like Rich had mentioned, we all saw this come in. We heard the rumblings throughout the week that this was going to be announced and, and for it to finally get announced that it is a start and what some of the players call they move in the right direction would be starting here in the state of Hawaii. A return to normalcy in a way for the football experience at the University of Hawaii. Oh, definitely. And, and, you know, I'm definitely one of those people that wanted to see 4,500, would want to see 9,000, especially at 100% vaccinated in mass. But at the end of the day, this program hasn't had fans since 2019. And although with the thousand people, you will limit, you will limit the amount of people that can show up. Well, now we got mothers and fathers that can come. We have family members that can book their tickets knowing they're going to come see some of their family members be able to represent Hawaii. And for some of these guys, you know, namely players like Calvin Turner, that's never happened. Your whole time here at the University of Hawaii, fans have not been allowed. So in that aspect, you got to be happy for it. Obviously, you would want to see more. But going in the right direction, returning to normalcy, this is a good sign that that is happening. So that in and of itself is enough to be positive about, you know, hopefully before the end, they can get 9,000. But even if not, the 1,000 still shows that there are strides to go back to normalcy. And as far as what's been going on for this program, I'll take it. Yeah, and you talk about big games for the University of Hawaii football team. If they have a big game coming up, we all talk about setting the tone and uh, creating the atmosphere. You know, this is interesting for the first thousand people that will be attending the Clarence T.C. Ching Athletics Complex. This is an opportunity for them to set the tone for what is this experience going to be like? What is the atmosphere going to be like? How animated and how involved is this crowd going to be? And, and really, even though it's going to be a thousand people, I really think that th there's a challenge laid out to whoever it is that shows up at, at that gate that you get to create the experience for University of Hawaii football moving forward. And so it'll be very interesting to see what it looks like, what it sounds like, and what it feels like come October 23rd when the University of Hawaii faces off against New Mexico State for a second time this season, but first here in Manoa. Now, speaking of the Aggies, who the Bows beat a couple of weeks ago, 41-21 in Las Cruces, they played in Reno last night, and that is who the University of Hawaii will play this Saturday, facing off against the Nevada Wolfpack, the preseason favorite in the West Division of the Mountain West Conference. They improved the 4-1 and Overall, 2-0 uh, in the Mountain West Conference, or 1-0 in the Mountain West Conference. Um, and uh, they beat New Mexico State 55-28, to a game that Carson Strong looked very impressive, living up to the hype as the preseason nod in the Mountain West Conference as the player of the year. Uh, let's talk about this matchup for the Rainbow Warriors coming off a win over then 18th-ranked Fresno State, the signature win for Todd Graham in his short one and a half years at the University of Hawaii. Rich, how big is this game? You got to remember that Hawaii beat Nevada two times in a row. They beat them in Reno the last time they played in a, in a beatdown um, 
against the Wolfpack in cold conditions, uh, frigid over there. And then they came back here in an empty Aloha Stadium, Todd Graham's first opportunity to face this team, and, and they pulled off the upset. Nevada was supposed to win that game, and the University of Hawaii pulled it out. So what are your thoughts heading into this game? How big of a game is this for the Rainbow Warriors that appeared to have really shifted things for this season by pulling off that upset against Fresno State? Yeah, I think this goes back to the prognosticators in the preseason picking Hawaii to finish so low in the conference, not giving them any respect, even when it came to first team uh, conference, all conference honors, even though that was in the preseason, I just felt like, did they watch the bowl game that Hawaii won so convincingly in all three phases? Do they understand that Chevin Cadero, Calvin Turner, Nick Mardner, Jared Smart, and a host of other receivers, Day-Day Hunter was back, the offensive line was back intact, the defense was getting better towards the end of last season. So I think this is vindication in terms of beating Fresno State with your backup quarterback, with your best cornerback going down on the first, well, your second best cornerback going down in the first opening kickoff. This is kind of vindication. This is kind of letting the nation know that it wasn't a fluke just because you had six turnovers. Those weren't turnovers last week against Fresno. Those were takeaways. They took the ball away. I think with Chevin Cadero hopefully healthy, uh, the running game looking much more physical, you know what they can do in the passing game if they get some type of rhythm. And then on defense, that was the best game played in Todd Graham's era. I think it made Bob Wagner and Dick Tomey smile. Uh, and, uh, and it certainly made Rich Miano smile. So I'm looking forward to this. And they're playing better on special teams in terms of hidden hidden yardage. All they got to do is break something in, in that return game. And they're going to be hitting on all cylinders. So this is, to me, uh, vindication. And I, I think the players are ready. I think the coaching staff knows what they have in that locker room. And they're starting to believe. Uh, RJ Rich mentioned Chevin Cordero. Uh, he missed the last game. Braden Shager started, of course, uh, in that Fresno State victory with a strong fourth quarter performance. As expected, Todd Graham said at practice earlier last week that the recovery time for Chevin is anywhere between 10 and 30 days, which is the same that he labeled as Cameron Lockridge. He did say that the injuries are not serious. So that's a positive sign for both of those key contributors moving forward. But as we predicted last week, that there was no way that there was going to be any indication on who's starting this game for the University of Hawaii. Um, obviously, there's still a few days to go and we could be wrong. And maybe I don't know where Todd Graham comes out and announces a starter at quarterback. But you'd imagine that he was able to keep the injury to Chevin under wraps for as long as he did it heading into Fresno State. It only makes sense that you would do the same uh, going into Nevada and make them have to prepare for two quarterbacks. Um, regardless of who plays at quarterback, when you look at this University of Hawaii football roster, you look at what Nevada has and how impressive they are. Is this a team that can challenge the Wolfpack in Reno? Uh, oh, most definitely. I mean, you know, when you talk about the Mountain West Conference in a whole, th this is one of the most competitive conferences, I would say, in the country. I mean, when you just talk about top to bottom and your yearly battles, you know, Hawaii versus uh, Nevada has been two and two in the past four years. And they've actually been back to back where, you know, Hawaii won the last two, Nevada won the last two before that. So, when you talk about the competitiveness in the Mount West in and of itself, every week, any team could win. So we'll just 
start with that. But I think when you look at what Braden Shager was able to do as a backup against Fresno State, that was highly touted, that was ranked when they came in and be able to beat them. Obviously, it was complemented by, you know, as Rich said, one of the best defensive performances we've seen in recent memory. Probably for me, the best defensive performance I've seen Hawaii football play in person. Uh, I think that this is always going to be a team you could challenge going, you know, either way, whether you're going with your starter, whether you're going with your backup, whether it's at TC Ching or whether it's at Reno, you'll always be able to beat a Mountain West foe. But I think this year, Hawaii's shown, you know, after that rough start against those two Pac-12 teams, you know, that iffy second half against Portland State, I think they bounce back and show people that, hey, they do have talent. And even when we aren't at our best, even when we don't have Shevin Cordero, even when we don't have Cameron Lockridge, we could still knock off somebody as good as Fresno State. So whether you have Shevin, whether you have Braden, whether you have to figure out, you know, how you're going to use your best players or whether you're going to have to replace them with somebody else, I think Hawaii is more than ready to go in there and put up a competitive game. But until the start and whistle, we really won't know what we'll get. And I think whether it's Shevin or Braden starting, you still are going to be competitive. You have to be competitive no matter what, but being that this is the Mount West Conference, that the freshman did beat a ranked opponent in his very first game, which I know he's going to tell his kids till the day he dies. But, you know, to have that confidence, to have those pieces coming together, I definitely think it, you could compete against Reno in Reno. And once we go up there, we'll see who starts. But regardless, I think Hawaii is going to give them a great test. You know, Rich, there, there's trends when it comes to coaching matchups, and, and you see it all the time, especially in college football, because the longevity, I, I think, is a, is a little bit stronger than it would be in the National Football League. Uh, and, and you saw it uh, on Saturday when Nick Rolovich and his Washington State Cougars team goes and beats Oregon State as underdogs in, uh, against uh, uh, the Beavers head coach John Smith, I believe his name is, right? Um and uh, and you and you think back to Nick Rolovich at the University of Hawaii beats Oregon State with him as head coach, right? Then last year in his first year, his only Pac-12 win was against Oregon State. And then you look at now in the third year of victory over Oregon State, you look at Todd Graham against Fresno State, where in that first game of the season on the road at Fresno, that's typically not a game that Hawaii is supposed to win. He's able to win that game. And then a year later with Fresno State playing really good football, nationally ranked, able to get that win again. And so is there, how much does that play into a matchup to where Todd Graham last season against Nevada, that's not a game that you're supposed to win, but able to pull it out and able to not only slow down, but really kind of take Romeo Dubs out of the game completely. He was entering that game as the best receiver in college football. How much does a coaching matchup play a part in in a game where, you know, sometimes a team just has another team's number. I mean, you could say the same for June Jones against Pat Hill, right? Where Pat Hill was beating everybody, had struggled against June Jones for most of, of the, the time that they were coaching against each other. How much does that play a part, Rich? You mentioned the Nick Rolovich and the Oregon State thing with uh, the familiarity with coaches. How about Nick Saban being 28-1 and one against former assistants that have gotten head jobs? The one was yesterday against Texas A&M on Saturday. So 
I think it favors Graham because I think he's the guru. I think he's the one who taught Novell a lot of the things he knows, probably offense, defense, special teams, and more importantly, all the intangibles and all the, you know, head coaching administrative stuff. So it's one of those matchups where I think it does favor Todd Graham. And I, I think he'll be ready to play and understand. And, and they've been breaking this thing down with this bye week. They've been, you know, practicing against uh, Nevada for two weeks, even though they have to travel, which is a huge logistical disadvantage for, for the Rainbow Warriors. I think tactically it's uh, an advantage for Todd Graham and this coaching staff. And I still, I go back to redemption. I go back to vindication. I go back to all of these things that Hawaii maybe has not taped in their locker room in terms of disrespect, but they need to continue to show they're not going to be happy being three and four, four and three, three and four, whatever the outcome is. This team is built for a championship. And I believe the coaching staff believes that the players believe that. And they're starting to be some fans that are jumping on that bandwagon, but there's a lot more room on that bus. Yeah, absolutely. And again, we'll find out uh, just how serious this team's championship hopes are when they face Nevada in Reno, 4.30 p.m. on Saturday on the CBS Sports Network. Now, we said it last week and I said it throughout the week and I put a couple of posts out through the week that this is going to be a special episode of Bulls Football Final because of the bye week. We want to hear more from our listeners and to be for them to be able to create the topics here in, in the Bose football final mailbox. And we got a lot of great responses that, that I want to get to. And so as always, you can find me on Instagram at Rob DeMello on Twitter at Rob DeMello, K H O N R DeMello at K H O N 2.com on email. And however else you want to reach me, uh, just be kind uh, when you do so, you know, because uh, not everyone is, uh, I'll be honest, uh, but uh, let, let's get things started. And this is a, a question from Kimo, and I, I love this one. This, I mean, this is a topic right here. When you look at the 2021 season, all right, this is what Kimo wants to know. Who is the most important player to Hawaii's 3-3 three and three start, and who will be the most important player moving forward? So I'm going to just set a rule here and say they can't be the same player, all right? So think about how the University of Hawaii got to three and three. Who was the most important player for that to happen? And then moving forward for the remaining games, who will be the most important player for this UH football team? And uh, we're going to start with RJ Hollis. RJ. Um, that is a, actually a really great question. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, it's, it's difficult to, to kind of put it on one person. Um, but for this season and being that it's on the spot, I got to kind of play it safe. I'm going to have to say uh, Calvin Turner. Uh, this guy, right, you know, I always talk about the first play I saw him scoring against New Mexico, you know, at the empty Aloha Stadium. But when you see it progress into another year, when you see it, you know, get into a point where he's being studied. So this is the one thing I always say when it comes to football. It's easy to catch people off guard when nobody knows you're coming. It's very easy for people to sleep on you and then for you to catch them off guard. Calvin Turner's been doing what he's been doing for quite some time now, and it doesn't seem to stop. Now, the reason I would say as far as this three and three, the most important person is because you can't not mention his name. Uh, Corey Bethley had a great game against Fresno State, 
and that was that single game that got national recognition. But in all six games that the University of Hawaii has played, Calvin Turner has been a point of interest for all of these teams, and he's continuing to make that same magic that he made last year. And no matter who you're going to face in these next seven games, the defensive coordinator is going to follow number seven. He's going to train his defense to follow number seven. They're going to have to watch him. Whether Shevin or Braden come in, that's one thing. But regardless of how that happens, the only person you will be watching on every single play is number seven. And I feel like as the season starts to go forward, it will also be Calvin because once he starts to become such a focus, Day-Day Hunter, Nick Martiner, Kuali Nishigaya, Dedrick Parson, Jared Smart, they got something for you. When you want to fall asleep on them because you put so much attention in number seven, I think that's when the whole team will explode. They'll bounce, you know, out into some of these great performances we've seen them having. So in the first six and in the last seven, I'm going to have to give it to my man, Calvin Turner Jr., because he's just walking electricity. At the end of the day, these reverse plays that he's made, we know those are broken plays. That's something that's a failed call but you make magic out of it. So, you know, it's hard to see somebody do the things that he's doing, be put in the amount of positions he's been put in and be relied upon as much as he is and not say that, you know, that's one of the most important people uh, in the first six and in the next seven going forward. So Calvin Turner. RJ Hollis did not follow the rules because you weren't supposed to use the same player for both answers, but because I like, Oh, I thought it was me. Rich can't use it. I, I liked your, I liked your reasoning behind it. So I'm going to accept it. All right. I'm going to okay. accept it and Thank put a gold star on your piece of paper right there. Calvin Turner jr. For the first six and the last seven, Rich Miano, who you got? Professor Rob, first of all, <laughs> I don't follow anybody's, I don't follow anybody's rules and, RJ picked, you know, the obvious, right? So I'm saying Sorry. this. I'm going to say that telepathy tells me that number 12 is going to be the most valuable player moving forward. But up until this point, I'm going with 1A and 1B. And it starts with 53 because he, Darius Morsau, is lining up the front. He's rushing the pass. He's dropping back in a pass coverage. He's making sacks. He's making interceptions. He's making, you know, cause fumbles. And then... Corey Bethley, the most impactful player thus far, is everywhere. He's the guy in the back end that's coming down to the eight-man front. He's playing middle field. He's playing in the hole. He's lining up in man coverage. He's blitzing off the outside. I think this team goes when the defense turns the ball over and allows number seven to get the ball and make some plays. So I'm going 1A, Darius Moosau. 1B, Corey Bethley. The rest of the season, number 12. And that's because no matter what RJ said, I was going to go the opposite way. <laughs> I've lost control of my classroom over here. No one's following my rules, but hey, you guys are like my children, man. What's going on over here? All right. Well, but you know what? I'll accept it all. You guys all pass, and, and I give you guys the degrees in uh, the Mellow University, right? Home of the fighting Greek Hawaiian Portuguese. All right. So uh, let's move on to our next question. Uh, this one comes from, let's see, who are we going to go to? We are going to go to Brother, Brother Mike, Big Mike, who wants to know, and you mentioned Shevin here, so this is a good uh, uh, segue here, Rich Miano. Do you see any reason to play both Shager and Shevin moving forward if both are healthy? So this is pretty much, let's say that, 
Shevin Cordero is able to play against Nevada. Everything's back to normal. He's the starting quarterback. Do you have packages for Braden Shager to come in at certain times of the year? Is this a situation where you can use both quarterbacks moving forward because now your true freshman out of Texas, Braden Shager, has the experience. You know the kind of throws that he can make. Is there any reason to do that, RJ? Uh, I, I'm going to say no. I'm going to say no. And only because, you know, prior to Shevin missing Fresno State, 14 consecutive starts out of this kid. When he was backing up, you know, Cole McDonald coming off, he made some some great plays, some comeback victories, some awesome throws. And the only reason he was out this game is because of injury. I do feel like this gave the offense some chance to kind of get more of their own flow without having to depend on their QB one so much. But I also feel like that Shevin is just so talented. He brings such a, a extra dynamic to the game that I don't feel like he's going to have to be put aside unless it was for injury like it was against Fresno State. So make no mistake about it. Braden Shaker is a great quarterback. And it is awesome to know that if anything does happen to Cordero, we can go tap on Shager's shoulder and be like, hey, man, you, you come pick up where he left off. But I do feel like as long as Shevin's healthy, he, he is a great QB one. And I do feel like that with these next seven games, he's going to be the quarterback you need to put you in the best position to win. Rich Miano, is this, uh, you know, from a defensive mind, how beneficial would it be to even, let's just say for argument's sake, right? Let, let's say Shevin's healthy, he's going to start but on that first snap, you throw Shager out there. You have him hand the ball off, and then Shevin comes in on the second play. Does that create chaos as far as what they thought was going to happen, and then they get a reversal? I mean, is there any reason to play mind games here with two quarterbacks? Well, I, I think you hold your cards close to your vest, and you know, and he does because Graham is a, ment uh, a mentor of Bill Belichick, so you're not going to hear anything in terms of availability until probably about – a minute and a half before this football game. But I'm with RJ. I, I don't think you play both of them necessarily, but if I'm Bo Graham and I'm the offensive coordinator and Shevin's 100% healthy, I'm putting in speed option. I'm putting in the RPOs. I'm putting in the read zones. I'm putting in the quarterback powers. You couldn't do that last year, and you only ran number 12 in situational situations. Now, with the fact that you know you have a comparable or a capable backup, you now can run number 12. And there's nothing more dangerous to a defensive coordinator when you have to defend that 11th guy. And when that 11th guy is number 12, you saw last year, you saw some indications early this year. He can not only move the chains, but he can take it to the house. He can avoid injury, hopefully get out of bounds, slide when he needs to, but get number 12 much more involved in the running game. Yeah, I like it. I like it. And so we'll see what happens on Saturday. Who's going to be starting at quarterback for the Rainbow Warriors, Shevin Cordero or Braden Shager? Uh, you have to feel pretty good uh, by what Todd Graham said, that this, the injury is not serious. And it and uh, so he missed a, a week of practice. He didn't play in that game against Fresno State. You get a bye week. So uh, uh, that leads us to our next question from Chase. Did this bye week come at a good time for the University of Hawaii football team? And, you know, this is a question that comes up a lot throughout football seasons. And I always kind of view it as, you know, it depends on what happens next, right? If they win, then it's like, oh, man, they really, uh, they, they really took advantage of that bye week. And if they lose, then it's like, oh, man, I wish they could have just played right away off that Fresno game because they were riding high. And, you know, so it's like uh, you never know. 
um, whether it's going to benefit a team or not. But with that being said, you both have been through a season and you both have seen injuries and experienced injuries and, and how much a bye week can help in tending to those. So uh, Rich, bye week came at a good time for the University of Hawaii coming off of an upset win over 18th ranked Fresno State or kind of wishing that they were able to play right away. Well, that, that depends on a couple of things. The, the main thing that would come to mind as a head coach or a coordinator or any, anybody involved in this program is, do you get number 12 back? Do you get Cameron Lockridge back? How many guys were nicked up prior to this that are going to be 100%? You know, you need a buy. So if this allows you to get a couple of your stars back or a little bit closer to being healthy, uh, then the buy came at the right time. When you talk about a performance standpoint, sometimes when you're playing well, you want to continue to play. But I think offensively, they're still not hitting their rhythm. They're not, their timing, their identity still needs to ha have some work on. And that takes a while when you have a new coordinator, Bo Graham, uh, when you have, you know, a couple of new pieces in the mix, so to speak. Um, but I think that they can get better offensively with their timing, uh, with their play calling, with their sequencing of plays. And if that happens and this offense does click like it's capable, then this was a great week to have a bye. All right, RJ Hollis, where do you stand on this? Uh, yeah, I'm with Rich. I think it's a great time to have a bye. You know, when you come off of a win that's historic, the one thing that it does better than anything is it allows the players to smile for that week that they have off. I think the hardest thing about a bye week is if you get beat before it, you have that bitter taste that whole time you're off. And that doesn't do anything good for momentum. It doesn't do anything good for morale. And I think to beat Fresno State, 18th ranked in an empty TC Ching stadium, get all the national recognition, have your backup quarterback be the one that's doing it. I think for confidence, this bodes, you know, extremely well for a program that let's not forget lost 4410 to start its season off. So, you know, I think it, as far as being able to collect themselves to be able to have an honest look in the mirror, they have a good win to remember. They also have bad games that they can go back and look at having that week off and knowing you still have the meat of your schedule in front of you. I think that's good time. And I think it gives them time to see like, hey, guys, you know, we're not as bad as we think. We're not as good as we think. We get to rest. We can get back Cordero. We can get back Lockridge, maybe help heal up some of these guys like Darius and Corey and Calvin that have been playing so many snaps for us and, and be able to set us up for these next seven games. So I think it was a great time by week. I think beating the 18th team is the cherry on top as far as morale and, you know, having these guys excited to go into another game. And I'm going to keep riding that as far as beating the 18th ranked team in the country at that time, Fresno State. Uh, this is a question from UH superfan Sean, who is asking, which victory was bigger for the University of Hawaii football program? The win over Houston in the New Mexico Bowl, which was played in Texas, by the way. You got to throw that in there in the, the <laughs> crazy year that 2020 was, right? Um, or the win over Fresno State last Saturday or two Saturdays ago. So uh, which one do you rank? If you were to rank Todd Graham victories, or even forget Todd Graham, if you were to just rank University of Hawaii victories in recent years, which one goes higher? A bowl game on the continent, which had only been done once before, 1992 against Illinois in the Holiday Bowl, or is it Fresno State, 18th ranked team in the country? And, and keep in mind that this is a program that hadn't beat in a top 25 team since 2010. 
So it's been a long time coming uh, to get that ranked win. What do you got, Rich? I'm going to go with the Fresno State one, only because I, I look at the whole COVID 2019 football season. Some people played four games. Some people played eight. Some people had n- numerous starters and, and position players and backups out on COVID and, you know, uh, with COVID. Uh, and, and it was just kind of an anomaly, kind of a one-off season that we'll hopefully never see again in our lives until the familiarity with Fresno State, a national ranked team. There are so many people that watch Fresno beat UCLA. So many West Coast people, and I'm more of a West Coast football guy, Pac-12, to recognize that, hey, Hawaii is competitive to a point where they beat Fresno State. And people watch Fresno State play USC this year, which was a which was an intriguing game all the way down to the end. So I thought this win more – because because of normalcy in this season based upon last year. That, don't get me wrong. That was a big win. Like you mentioned, going to the content, winning on the road in a bowl game has only been done, I think, once before with this football program. So that was huge. So I don't want to discount that. But to me personally, I think this Fresno State game had much more meaning, especially to the West Coast fan. All right, RJ, where do you stand? Uh, I'm also going to have to go with Fresno State. Uh, heated rivalry, uh, uh history kind of rivalry played every year since 1992 uh, a relatively tight rivalry which is now only separated by i believe five or six games now and you know when you talk about two teams that have faced each other since you know the 1930s you, you're going back talking about a good long storied history between hawaii and fresno and i think to beat fresno at any given time is great but to beat them while they're ranked i think that just it's what, like I said, you know, the last Bowls football final, it's what everybody's been waiting for. It's a sigh of relief. It's it's a glint, a glimmer of national recognition. You know, Corey Bethley uh, was recognized a national defensive player of the week for his stellar performance. Uh, Mount yeah, two, West times. two times, two in times, the award two times. and the Thorpe award. Two times. Okay. And Rob, just let y'all know that. I ain't know that. Two, t- <laughs> two times, you know, Corey Bethley get national recognition. There has been 40 different top 25 teams that have lost in this 2021 season. So that is crazy number in and of itself. But one of those victories belongs to the University of Hawaii. And I think at the end of the day, that is kind of the biggest thing that this university needed has been waiting for. Just a, a glimmer of some sort of national recognition. And to know that if Fresno State can do it, we can do it. Not to mention Fresno State beat UCLA, whom beat you 44 to 10. So when you kind of do those greater than, less than, you can always wrap yourself back around to being better than UCLA because you beat a team that beat them. So I think, you know, that great, great win against Houston. Houston was a talented team. A bowl win is never something you want to sneeze at and you get a ring for it. But at the same time, I think in the grand scheme of things and for the university, because the coaches will come and go, players will come and go, bowl games will come and go. But at the end of the day, your university's record will still stay with it as long as it is a university has a football program beating a top 25 team. That's always going to be the, the icing on the cake right there. Yeah. And when you look at, at how good a team is or a benchmark for a program at that time, you know, you got to remember that this is a program in the University of Hawaii that hasn't been ranked itself since 2010. They hadn't beat a ranked opponent since 2010 and that carries so much weight in what you are doing and it's a little bit of a snapshot of how capable you are 
because you even look at the Nick Rolovich era where they're stacking wins and you stacked a lot of wins in that time. Um, uh, but never a victory over a ranked opponent, right? And uh, and really in those games against ranked opponents weren't really even close. And so to be able to pull off a win against a team that is ranked in the top 25 is just a, a sign of the kind of path that you're on. Because if you could beat a ranked team and you put things together, you too could be a ranked team one day. And I think that's the first sign that this program has that capability in a long time. Uh, and so definitely carries a lot of weight. And, and I'm, I'm going to have to side with you guys on that one where that, that's a big win. That's one of the big wins all time because there's not, there's not a lot of ranked victories, period, in this program. In the over 100 years of this program, um, there's not that many of those. So the, to add one and, and, and it being against a rival in Fresno State, a conference opponent, uh, definitely uh, carries a lot of weight. Um, the bowl game victory, huge but I'm with Rich where it's an interesting season, a little bit of an anomaly there. Um, But I I, I think we'll clean sweep on that one with the Fresno state win. All right. The next question comes from Carol. And I feel like this, this question is right up my alley guys. You guys know me. I'm a uniform guy, right? I'm obsessed with uniforms and, and uh, the marketing of programs and all that. And uh, Carol's asking, what do you think of the new Adidas uniforms for the University of Hawaii football team? And so I'm going to let you guys go first. Um, So far, we've seen on the road at UCLA, the all whites with a white helmet, white jersey, white pants, white socks, white shoes. And that was a good look, right? You came back home and all the home games is all black, black from head to toe. Uh, you've had a road game where you've done the black helmet, white jersey, and black pants, and you've done the black helmet, white jersey, white pants. So you've seen a little bit of the mixing there, uh, but it appears to this point there's only those two uniform sets, white and black. Um, so far, RJ Hollis, where do you grade this new uniform from Adidas? Uh, I think it's, I honestly think it'd be a little unfair to give them a grade, but if we're being honest, I probably just have to say like a C, C plus, B minus there. I don't think there was much time between the season started and the announcement of Adidas actually becoming the sponsor for the University of Hawaii. As a lot of people know, they've been under armor for quite a while now. So I think with, as far as creating jerseys, I think you got to give yourself time to kind of get in that creative stance. I think you got to have a full off season, kind of talk to the people at the university and see, you know, as far as being creative, what do we want to do? You know, how do we want to go at it? Then come next year when they put out some alternate jerseys or whatever, see where that creative mind kind of sits, then I'll be able to give them, I think, a little more fair grading. They're not terrible jerseys, but I do feel like, you know, they're just white, just black, you know, nothing crazy. I've played in the uh, rainbow retro uniforms, which I think were some of the iciest uniforms in all of college football ever, period. Don't care any period, any time. The ones with the rainbows over the shoulders, oh my God. Like the most excited I've ever been to put on a jersey is before I played in those. So, you know, but that's after Under Armour had been in for a while. They did the American flag. They switched up a couple of jerseys. So I think let's give Adidas some time, give them an off season or two, let them shoot their shot of like creativity. And then we'll double back on that question. And I'll be like, yeah, they're good. Or I'll be like, okay, never mind. You know? So I, I think that's my answer. All right. That's fair. That's fair. And as RJ mentioned, there was a quick turnaround to Under Armour, 
uh, dropped a lot of football teams here. It's not a good time for Under Armour. Um, and so there were a lot of football teams that they had to break contracts of. And uh, therefore, the University of Hawaii was free to find a new home for their uniforms. Uh, they got Adidas for football, basketball, volleyball. The other sports will ride out with Under Armour here for the remainder of the 2021-2022 seasons. And then starting the following year, the University of Hawaii becomes a full Adidas program. And so, yeah, obviously you're going to see a, a, a lot more added to the repertoire of uh, uh, Adidas and the University of Hawaii in uniforms moving forward. Rich Miano, your grade on the Rainbow Warrior look this season. Well, first of all, Tua's Adidas, Polynesian Bowl's Adidas, Hawaii Speed and Quickness is Adidas, Rich Miano, it's taken about six months, but my whole wardrobe, and I'm 59, Rob, and I've never bought a pair of shoes, so I'm pretty <laughs> proud of that, is now Adidas. So I'm on that bandwagon, and, and RJ hit the nail on the head when he said that you can't really give them, you got to give them an incomplete grade until they're able to process some tapa, some Hawaiiana into this, some potential rainbow throwback retros. Once you do that, then the grade will be fair. But I think if you ask the kids, and I think if you ask the athletes, I think eventually Adidas will overtake Under Armour just because that's what's happening in society. They may not be the 800 pound gorilla Nike, but they're working on especially the youth, and especially this whole crowd of being cool, because even my daughter wears Adidas. So I'm going with Adidas. I'm proud. <laughs> I'm going with the incomplete grade, Rob. And you may be a little too old, Rob, to get on that Adidas bandwagon with me and RJ, your students, but the professor may join soon. <laughs> hey, you know what? I, I'm an equal opportunity uh, brand wearer, okay? Like, I, I got my shoes <laughs> that I like, it, and see, I'm a I'm a creature of habit. I, I, if there's something I like, I like it and I don't go away from it. Right. So I eat the same foods every single day. I, you know, I drink the same things. I watch the same things. And so for me, you know, a few years ago, I found a pair of, of Jordan uh, shoes, 88 racer low profiles. And I found them in New York on a trip. And I was like, Oh man, I like the way this fits. I went home and I bought five pairs online. <laughs> I put them in my closet. It's the only shoe I've worn ever since, right? And so I got my dirty shoe. I got my clean shoe that I keep clean. I got one that I keep in the office here that I only wear at work. And so um, I guess I'm tied to Jordan for my feet because of that. But eventually those shoes are going to get old and, and I'm not going to be able <laughs> to buy them anymore because I'm not a sneakerhead. I'm not paying $500 for them uh, a year from now. So um yeah, uh, you know, I'm 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 cool. We're, we're, whatever whatever uh, is, is there for me, I, I'm cool with wearing. But now, let, here's my thoughts on the uniforms, okay, guys? I've been waiting for this. I've been waiting for this. <laughs> All right. So I'm with you that it's incomplete because not enough time for Adidas to to put something together. All right. Now I would love to see a third jersey, a green jersey, right? Like like they've had with Under Armour, um, because I think it's the perfect uh, balance where you have the white, you have the black, you have the green. I would love to see moving forward that the black uniform is used more like it was used when it was first introduced by June Jones uh, in 2000, where green was your primary home jersey. You wore black 
for the big game. You're playing on national TV. You got a big, you know, rivalry game. You got a, a, a game that has huge implications late in the conference season. You're in all black because it's supposed to make you feel like it's special, right? Like, oh, they're wearing all black today. Because I remember that. I mean, in 2000, you know, I'm 18 years old at that time. And I remember when, when they came out wearing all black, it was like, oh, this is different. This is a big game, right? And and so I'd love to see them incorporate that a little bit more as opposed to just wearing black all the time, which they had started to do anyway, right? Over the last few years where, uh, especially during the Nick Rolovich era, that as soon as they got those black uniforms back, that that was pretty much his go-to and they would wear green against like FCS opponents and whatever it was, right? So that's my first one. I'd love to see green in the in the uh the the set to, to to be able to choose from with what they have right now i'd still love to see a little bit of mixing up i mean you can you can have multiple different uniform looks by just the black and white that you have because you have a black helmet you have a white helmet i want to see at home white helmet black jersey white pants right I mean, that's something that we haven't seen before. And that's something that the, the white helmet and the white number and the white pants go together with the black offsetting. And I think it will work. All right. I want to see on the road where you do white, white, black, you know, and, and so you, throughout the rest of the games of the season, you could wear theoretically a different uniform set every time. I mean, even with the socks and the shoes. And so I'd say just change it up so that the games look different so that it's not the same thing every time. With that being said, RJ Hollis, you brought up the rainbow uniform that you love so much, the retro. I call it a fauxback because it's not a real throwback. That that wasn't a uniform that was worn. It was one that was created by Under Armour that was a little bit of a mix of a few eras uh, and, and made to create that. What I need to see is an actual retro uniform, an actual throwback of the 1990s of, you know, and, and use 1992 as your vision with the block Hawaii across the chest, with the rainbow UH logo on the helmet, with the rainbow pants, with the rainbow sleeve, the red, yellow, uh, red, yellow, white, and blue on the green jersey. That's what I need to see. So Adidas, that you're on the clock. That, that you heard I will it. not be satisfied until we see that. And I almost feel like we were about to see that with Under Armour, because if you remember a couple years ago, they started selling it. Uh, Under Armour was selling the 1992 jersey and yet we never saw the University of Hawaii football team actually wear it and so I feel like that was on the horizon before all this happened and which really bums me out but there's my take on uh, you know I, I pretty much think that we all say it's an incomplete grade here for, for Adidas in this first year but I, with what they have I still think there's some stuff you could play with to, to make it a little more uh, interesting moving forward so we'll see what happens with that. Hey, RJ, I think we can all agree that Rob's not a sneakerhead, but he is a fashionista. <laughs> and we'll, 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 we'll leave the fashion up. to Rob should call in to Todd Graham, or the chief of staff in football, and tell them on Mondays what uniforms they should wear. Because you know what? You'd sell more uh, jerseys. You'd sell more merchandising. And the retro stuff, that, that stuff would go big time nationwide. Oh, yeah. yeah. And let me, let me be clear on one thing, all right? I am not a fashionista for myself, okay? <laughs> I do not know how to dress. And again, I, I don't take enough time out of my getting ready to, to, uh, to, to look good. Um, you get but, your hair cut every week. 
Yeah, see that is that's the one thing. That's my you know, but I love haircuts. It's almost like going to a spa for me, right? I just relax, I talk story, you know, shoot the breeze okay. uh, with my guy Landon. And uh so it's more of a, a social event for me to go get my haircut than it is uh <laughs> uh anything else. Um but so I don't care about my own fashion, but I care about the fashion <laughs> of sports teams for some reason. I you know, that's my mental like so, uh, so there you go. But let us know what you think, uh, guys, uh, as you're listening to this on, on this uniform. All right. I got another great one. And this comes from Dean. All right. What is your very first UH football memory? And Dean goes on to say that his first football memory was an afternoon game, 2001, Hawaii beating BYU 72-45. Craig Stutzman punt, I'll never forget. So Dean, obviously a, a somewhat of a younger cat because that 2001 game being his first memory, I imagine probably a kid at that time, Dean. Um, uh, but that's definitely, if that's your first UH football memory, that's a fun one, man. Cause I remember that game very well. I was working at Safeway at the time. And I remember it was an early kickoff. Um, it could have even been like, like a two, two o'clock or something like that. It was a really early afternoon cause the game ended and it was still sunny. And I remember working the overnight shift at Safeway with my boy, Chad, and uh, we did the stocking uh, shift so that we could get off early. We could go down to the stadium and we could watch that game. And it was a lot of fun. So, uh, Rich Miano, I'm going to start with you. Uh, you. You go a little bit further back than all of us. <laughs> but uh, your very first University of Hawaii football memory, what was it? Sitting in the nosebleeds with 50,000 people. In 1978 and 79, Oklahoma and USC sold out stadium when it wasn't even a figment in my imagination that I would eventually walk onto this program. I was so impressed by the crowd. I was so impressed by the team in terms of battling into the fourth quarter against national powerhouses. It was just, to me, that was as big as it gets. I, I, there was no NFL UH football was like the NFL to me. And that's what was really my vision, my dream to walk on was based upon those memories of seeing that stadium sold out. And RJ and I talk about this all the time. There's nothing like 50,000 people in Aloha Stadium. That thing's reverberating. And uh, those memories are indelible. And it's really what propelled me to be a walk-on and the rest is history. But if it wasn't for those games and, and those visions and those memories, I probably would have ended up at Willamette and I'd probably be your assistant right now, Rob, working on the weekends. <laughs> oh man, that, oh, that butterfly effect on that. That would have been a lot of fun to have you out here. All right. Uh, but you know what? I'll take what we got, bro. Cause I still got you in my life. I still got you working with me and, and we got all the, the, the fun bonus stuff to go with it. So uh, RJ Hollis, your very first UH football memory. And I'm guessing that it's actually before you got to Hawaii to play for the Bows or am I wrong? Uh, yeah, well, I mean, not much before. My first, first uh, memory would have to be watching them late night with my father. It was after all the other games went off, and uh, they were wearing all black. And I remember the quarterback had, like, Snoop Dogg braids coming out of his helmet. It's Brian Moniz, but at the time, I didn't know his name. I'm just like, whoa, like, bro looks hard. And then the offensive linemen, they just, they just look scary. Like, you know, all black with that top, it, it just looks scary. But um, – and more of a, a, a serious note, my first memory came when um, 
I met Coach DJ, and I should remember his full name, but uh, I was actually leaving the parking lot of my community college, and at this time in my life, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't the best, and I'm going to be honest, and the only reason I'm sharing this while I'm wearing this today is because, you know, I, I kind of want people to get where I be coming from when I speak of Hawaii. I was actually um, headed off, you know, out of school, and I wasn't, you know, in the right mind. I wasn't doing everything that I needed to be doing, but I still was, you know, fervent that I, I was going to go to college and I was going to play football. And I get a phone call from an 808 number. And I'm from Alabama. I grew up in Arizona. I've been to LA, Texas. So I've heard of every area code you could think of except 808. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> who is this? Why, why are they calling me? And I uh, pick up, it's Coach DJ, and I, oh, my God. He, he went on to coach at Wisconsin, and I should know it's his Durante like, Jones. Durante Jones. Durante Jones. I should, I should, I, I'm sorry. Coach, coach Durante, my bad. I should have known your, your, your full name, but we only called him by Coach DJ. And he called me, he asked me for my information, and said, well, he was actually getting ready to recruit a kid out of Saguaro, and he wanted to stop by and um, come visit me. Now, at the time, like I said, I wasn't – doing the best. Hawaii ended up being my first Division One offer. But it was when he pulled up in the parking lot and he got out and he was wearing the Hawaii polo. And I'll never forget just what that H, like, I'll never forget what that H, like, symbolized to me, you know? I, I, I was a good player. I played against the likes of Randy Gregory, you know, I played against guys that we're going to go all on and make really heavy football programs. I mean, careers for themselves. And for me, I hadn't made anything happen for myself. But, you know, when Coach DJ pulled up and I seen that that green H on that polo, I think I was sold before I even, you know, because I come to the island, I see the beach and all that, and that's great. But, you know, to me, that H, and I feel like I, I almost stand alone, not – completely by myself but I feel like I do have more value for that top of H than a lot of people that you would talk to on the average Hawaii has done so much for my life that I, I couldn't limit it into this podcast but as far as my first memory goes coach DJ getting out of that car coming up introducing himself shaking my hand and just saying hey uh I, I don't know what your recruits looking like but we want you at the University of Hawaii I, I think for the rest of my life I'll remember that for the rest of my life. I'll rep, you know, the university. I'll, I'll let my kids wear it. I'll, my grandkids will wear it. There will always be some sort of green top of H in my lifetime. Not to get too deep, not to go too long-winded, but I do feel like, you know, that late-night game, seeing Brian Moniz with the Dookie Braves, we probably watched it for like four minutes and then skipped over it. So I don't, you know, want to have it be that service level. But when Coach DJ pulled up at Scottsdale Community College and shook hands with, with R.J. Hollis for the first time. I, I've been addicted and stuck to that H ever since, and I probably will be for a, as long as I live. So that's my first uh, memory. And, and um, you know, to this day, that green H just means so much to me that I can't even put it into words. No, that, that's awesome. And because you brought that up, R.J., Rich, do you mind sharing with us your memory of your recruitment to Hawaii or maybe the moment that you knew that, you know, this was something you were going to do, you were going to go and walk on to this football team? Yeah, so um, we won the state championship. I only played one year of high school football, and Dave Fagg came to the – he was the offensive coordinator, a very famous coach and had a great resume. 
he came and he, he, he timed us on the 40 yard dash inside the gymnasium because it was illegal. We did the vertical jump. We did everything. But they were looking at a guy named Boyd Yap, who I thought was the best high school football player I've ever seen, all state uh, player of the year. And um, he eventually got a scholarship and they really didn't even want me to walk on. But I was so adamant and I was so I had so much desire that I wanted to be part of this program and just being able to work out for them and, and have them show an inkling of interest. And I don't even know if it was, it was maybe just a kind of a favor because we had another guy named Boyd Yap that they really wanted. Uh, but that was it. And like I said, I already had went to two games with 50,000 people. And I'm talking about 50,000 screaming people on national TV, Oklahoma, USC. I mean, this program was on a national map and I was just a walk on. And I was just a high school guy who played football for one year. So I thought I was in over my head, but I figured I'd try to jump into that pool and swim. And uh, eventually things worked out for me. But uh, yeah, Dave Fag working me out, 40 yard dash vertical jump, uh, you know, the whole thing. And uh, it just became a, a vision, became a dream, became reality, became, you know, something that like RJ, it's such a big part of my life that I feel like I have to continue to give back to this school for the rest of my life because it gave me so much. That's awesome, man. Love it. And you know, as you're saying that, I, I was thinking about the first time that you know, obviously my entire life living in the state of Hawaii and being a huge sports fan, I always knew who Rich Miano was. You know, I, I, I followed his career. I had his football cards growing up. I mean, I collected all the cards of the guys that had Hawaii on the back of the card. And so I knew who Rich was, obviously. And in 99, when he came back to, to coach for the University of Hawaii, I was still in high school. I was interning at the time at KGMB, but I wasn't in the business yet for sure. Um, and and uh, so when I started like actually working in 2002, I remember it was the first uh, uh, training camp that I was covering as an actual member of the media. And, uh, it, it, you know, somewhere in the first couple of weeks of training camp and uh, Rich is coaching his DBs and he's telling him about a player uh, that he played with. And it, I can't remember who the player was at the time right now uh, of who you're talking about, but I'm listening, I'm overhearing this and I'm sitting on the hill because it was a time that we couldn't film. And I'm just listening to Rich talk to his, his DBs and I, I knew who he was talking about, uh, but Rich couldn't remember who he was talking about. And so he's telling him <laughs> about his that, that carries over till today. Yeah. Cover two. And, and, and I remember, and, and so Rich and I, we don't know each other yet. Right. Like, and, uh, and then, I don't know if you saw me looking on and, and, and thought that I was listening to what, and then Rich turns to me and says, Hey, do you know who I'm talking about? And so I gave him the answer of who he's talking about. And, uh, and so he tells his players and like everyone cheers because I got it right. Right. Because like, <laughs> it's kind of like this, like, Oh gosh. And, uh, and I give the answer. And then after practice, Rich comes up to me and he's like, all right, you're good with me, man. I put you on the spot and you got the answer. And ever since then, me and Rich, we've been tight. We've been tight. Hey, ever boys. Since then. But, uh, no question. Yeah. Hey, so um, uh, just to give you my first memory, uh, UH football. And so mine's is kind of two, a two-parter, kind of like uh, the, the both of you guys, where the very first football game I ever remember just about UH was actually the first game that I remember attending. And so my father had taken me to UH games since I was probably three years old, but I don't remember any of that, right? The season opener, 1988. So I'm six years old against Iowa. 
that's the first football game period I remember of my life. And I remember the, 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 the Iowa colors, the black and yellow. I remember a game winning field goal. And so that's, and I remember that game. I remember being there. I remember for the first time in my life being like, okay, I'm at a football game. You know, this is the university of Hawaii and, oh, they won and it's celebratory and driving home, you know, from Halaba to Kailua and talking about it with my dad. And, and uh, so that was the first game I remember, but it wasn't until 92 when I was 10 that, that I feel like I was retaining everything. And it was that season that I, I remember so much of that season. I remember watching on TV, them opening on the year at Oregon and winning on the road. And, and there was a stretch at the end of the year where they beat Wyoming. And after beating Wyoming, there was a, a celebration in the locker room of them getting the bowl bid for the holiday bowl. And man, there's some construction going on outside my office. I don't know if you can hear that, but it is loud. But So if you guys hear that, my bad. Um, but and then the end of the year, I don't have the schedule in front of me, but I, I believe it was Wyoming, Tulsa, Pittsburgh to end the year. And, and by then, because they were winning, because they were going to a bowl game, because conference champs and all that, I was all in. And I remember everything about those games and moving forward, University of Hawaii football as a kid. I mean, there was probably nothing more important to me in my entire life than UH football. And, and it started in that 1992 season. That was when I very first retained everything. I knew everything. I knew the players' names and numbers and all that. And, and uh, I had uh, Uncle Harvey, who was a Booster Club member, um, and he would get the media guide every year. And that was kind of part of being in the Booster Club was, you know, one of the perks is you get a media guide. And every year he'd give me the media guide. And I read that thing front to back throughout the course of a season, a thousand times. And so um, that's kind of when it all started, uh, 1992 for me. And, and, and so maybe that's why that UH logo and that uniform uh, to me is just the greatest uniform of all time. It probably has something to do with what it did for me, right? And, and my interest in, in sports period. And then which kind of uh, allowed me to, to be as interested as I was then to be as interested as I am now. Um, so yeah. So there you go. Much mahalo to everyone that, that sent in the questions. Um, Dean, that was an awesome one. Uh, and, and please keep them coming in. Uh, we, we love to, to talk about these topics that, that you guys are coming up with here on Bo's Football Final. But for now, that does it for us uh, for this week. We got the University of Hawaii football team facing off against Nevada on Saturday, 4.30 p.m. Hawaii time on the CBS Sports Network, a big game in the Mountain West Conference West Division. And, of course, we'll be back next Monday to talk about what happened then and then what's going to happen the following week, and that's returning home against New Mexico State with fans in the stands at the Clarence T.C. Ching Athletics Complex for the first time ever and for the first time for the University of Hawaii football program dating back to the 2019 Hawaii Bowl. Before we go, R.J. Hollis, Rich Miano, final thoughts before we say aloha. R.J. Uh, yeah. Just excited for what's to come. Um, proud of the university. And this is going to be a big game. Nevada beat Boise in Boise. Boise turned around and beat the number 10 team, BYU, in Utah. So uh, make no mistake about it. There's still San Diego State, Wyoming, and other big games coming. But for Fresno State, I do feel like there does need to be an additional round of applause given to this team doing it in front of no fans. And if you're a fan, if you're alumni, you should be proud of the university. All right, Rich. Big game Saturday night. Can't 
wait for the Nevada game, but prior to that, the best high school football show in America, Cover 2, featuring resident sports genius Rob DeMello and his <laughs> cast of, and crew. And he is the hardest working man in show business. And I don't want to patronize him too much because he'll blush. He probably won't show that on the podcast. But Cover 2 is coming to you this week. Yeah, um, Cover 2, Thursday night. Every Thursday night, 9.30 on KHON2. I can't wait for that, man. It's been a long time coming. Two years since the last time we had Cover 2. It's season number nine. And uh, and we're very excited about that. Another note, obviously, you missed it last night on Sunday night. We had the University of Hawaii Circle of Honor. I shouldn't say you missed it. It's just that anyone who hadn't seen it last night on KHON2, you can catch it on demand at KHON2.com. So if you haven't seen it yet, jump on over to our website, KHON2.com, and you can watch the Circle of Honor Green and White Celebration as the honorees for the class of 2021. Colt Brennan, Robert Kikaula, Amber Kaufman, and Ed Wong were all featured in that program. So uh, just make KHON2.com uh, uh, your your daily stop, and you'll find a lot of stuff that you appreciate, I'm sure, of it. All right, for Rich Miano, for RJ Hollis, I'm Rob DeMello. Much mahalo, everybody. Have a great week. Aloha.